Welcome to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft. Each month, we'll talk with industry experts who enable innovation and make government more responsive and secure by advancing key technologies. Now, here's your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Drew Epperson, the Vice President of Federal Engineering at Palo Alto Networks Federal. Drew, thanks so much for taking the time to join me. Yeah, thank you, Jason. Let me set just a little bit of context for our discussion today. The ever-evolving cyber threats are causing agencies to more than just change their defense strategies. The move to zero trust requires a whole new level of thinking. And that change really revolves around people, process, and technology, of course. Agencies are moving away from that one-and-done type products and move more toward a holistic approach to cybersecurity. Gone are the days of buying tools to solve that single challenge. Zero trust and really other advanced cyber approaches require agencies to use integrated platforms to improve their ability to beat back the bad actors. For how agencies can do that, we're going to turn to Drew Epperson from Palo Alto Networks Federal. Now, Drew, uh, there's a shift going on in government. You're seeing it. I think a lot of agencies are seeing it. So talk a little bit about this idea of no more point products and we need antivirus. We need a firewall to this integrated platform approach. Yeah, I, I think, Jason, there's a you know, there's some of what we're doing inside of the public sector, specifically in federal. And I think it, it really is being driven by industry trends. If you go back years ago, you know, there were things like endpoint protection platforms, uh, which was really kind of a, a, a superset of things that were happening at the endpoint. Then people realized those weren't good enough. And so we created EDR, uh, endpoint detection response. That then realized that it didn't include anything in the cloud or anything in the network. So then we moved to XDR, which is extended detection and response. Um, and now even most recently, we as a company have launched a new platform that consolidates both SOAR and XDR um, into a single platform. And so yeah, I think if we look at why, right, it's not just because we like creating new acronyms and a new magic quadrant, uh, you know, the Gartner magic quadrants, but legitimately it's because what we find is somebody creates something for a unique need uh, inside of the, the environment. And then we realize that the attack service keeps changing and that adversaries keep evolving. And so we keep creating things uh, in the industry to close out those gaps. Eventually it is the collection point where people don't want to have, you know, 15 agents on, a, on an endpoint, right? They don't want 35 network security vendors <laughs> setting at their perimeter um, or internal in their data center. And so we're seeing this industry trend toward a rationalization and consolidation. And I, I think Gartner, Forrester, whichever one you want to follow, um, they all are recognizing that, right? Especially in cloud, which I think is maybe one of the best examples, instead of launching all these different cloud security focused platforms, they now just have CNAP, right? And CNAP has this superset of capabilities that are there. And they're essentially taking vendors and saying, if you want to complete, compete in the cloud space, you really need to have a complete offering around a platform that secures all things cloud. They're qualifying that as CNAP and then the industry moves that way. And so to answer your question, I, I think, you know, in federal, there's a couple of specific reasons why I think platforms are really interesting. Uh, one is hypothetically, they, they save cost, uh, they drive more efficiency, they're easier to train on because it's one platform instead of 30 products. And then I think the real big one is under the guides of zero trust, you really need consistent enforcement all the way through the digital transaction. That becomes increasingly hard when you have five or six things on the endpoint, 10, 15, 20 things on the network, other things in the cloud, different things in the SOC, I think we're getting to the point where people just want consistent policy enforcement, regardless of who the user is, what device they're on, where they're going, or what app they're engaging with. Um, and in order to deliver that, platforms provide a more efficient and a more streamlined, consistent way to do it. A couple of things I'd like to back up on, because I think you make some really important points. The first thing is this idea of how the tools have morphed or evolved over the years. How much of that is better tools, or how much of that is 
the cloud or all of the above or just the bad actors, really? Um, probably a little bit of both, but, you know, to your point about tools, um, you know, traditionally, I like, think sandboxing um, back in the day when malware sandboxing happened, it was it was an entire vertical in itself. Right. Like people competed to have the best malware sandbox. And there were all these features and functions that were competed, you know, vendor to vendor, open source technologies. Um, now, honestly, malware sandboxing is, is built into almost any solution you buy. It's, it's almost become commoditized. And to your point, I, I think some of it is just the fact that technology has evolved. Um, and now things that used to be standalone products really are just considered features inside of larger platforms and products, uh, which is the natural way that industries work. And, and, you know, things over time mature and evolve. Now, I think you're more likely to see differentiation based on who's leveraging machine learning, data analytics and artificial intelligence across multiple platforms compared to who has one kind of feature control that may meet a specific need. I do think, though, that your other part of the question, which is cloud technology, for instance, I think cloud was one of the first markets that, that we saw as a company where customers wanted to consolidate, right? Where they had looked at their traditional data center infrastructure and said, you know, we've spent 10, 15 years building security into the data center. And we find ourselves with all these disparate products and there's a bunch of spend, rarely do they integrate and it's wildly inconsistent across different policy sets. And I think most customers who are looking to move to the cloud have made the realization that the cloud offers them a unique opportunity to standardize, right? Whether it's, um, you know, with the cloud native tools that exist or with a partner like ourselves who offer one platform that secures all different uh, cloud providers consistently across all different functions, container security, CSPM, data, governance, users, um, to include things uh, like function as a service security, for instance, infrastructure as code, you know, now it's how fast can you turn on those features on the platform to address those new security concerns compared to, you know, 15, 18 different startups spinning up at any one time and buying all of them so that they each individually do their one niche thing like that. I, I just don't think that that's going to be the way that the industry moves going forward. And I think that we can see that by, like I said earlier, Gartner qualifying what a CNAP is, which is all things you need for cloud, and then rating people on their ability to deliver all of them, not just one portion of them. You bring up this idea of cloud, really push customers to want to consolidate. And I want to go down that path of tool and rationalization and consolidation in a second. But agencies are definitely going to be in this hybrid world for a long time. We're going to have some stuff in the cloud. We'll still have some stuff in the data center. We have to deal with legacy technology. Is that the other big challenge to this, why the consolidation is so important? Because they have these different environments and they have these different needs for different applications that they could get everything to here it comes. I, I know you're waiting for it, Drew. Single pane of glass that will make life easier. Yeah, I feel like there should be probably like a single pane of glass swear jar in the industry. Um, yeah, I, I mean, I, I think what I think the intellectually honest way to look at it is um, these environments, specifically in public sector, and even maybe more specifically in U.S. federal, the ability to have one thing that does everything is is not going to happen, right? Like we, we will always have different solutions and different platforms for different needs. And I think our view of the industry and what we're trying to position is it's not that you should go all in with a single vendor to do everything. Um, it's more that you should standardize on platforms that have native integrations, right? So maybe the example I would give you is, you know, we are working with a ton of customers right now on secure network uh, remote access or zero trust network access, ZTNA. Um, and one of the things that is, is key to ZTNA deployments is identity. You have to know who the user is in order to do conditional-based access. It is no surprise for people who follow Palo Alto Networks that we are not an identity provider. 
We, we're, we're, we don't offer an IDP solution. And so the natural kind of example that you and I are talking about is, you know, does that mean that you don't go with Polyton Network's ZTNA solution? Well, no, it just means that our solution needs to have native integrations with the best uh, leading class industry, leading identity providers. And we do today. And so I think what I would articulate back to you is, is that our customers are trying to find ways to move a legacy spin that's very disjointed and segmented into a platform um, that maybe they have one or two identity platforms, one or two endpoint security platforms, one cloud platform, and then maybe one ZTNA platform. It's not that they all come from the same person, but it makes it a lot easier to maybe integrate four or five key platforms than 80 or 90 point products. I really appreciate the example. I think it's important because folks don't, I want to make sure folks don't think you're saying, oh, just buy one platform to win them all, right? There's no ring, right? You can't get right. the one ring to rule them all. It's every time you know we talk cyber, it's got to be a combination, but of tools and techniques and procedures, TTPs, but it can't be too many because that causes too many problems. So let's talk about uh, rationalization and consolidation. That's a trend that you're seeing uh, as agencies want to move toward a platform approach. Uh, what first? What are you seeing? And then we'll talk a little bit more in detail about how to do it. Yeah, I mean, what we're seeing, which is hopefully not as present anyone, is is cost savings is a huge focus, right? I, I think like many of us, uh, you know, whether it's cyber or somewhere else in your life, um, every once in a while you you look at budgets and you say, this is crazy. I'm, I'm spending $15, $20 on a subscription on a monthly basis that I'm only using once or twice, right? Like, so do I really need this thing or can I pivot to something else that maybe provides me a better savings? That has always been um, inside of the cyber industry where people look at, you know, this is what I bought and this is what I'm using of what I bought. How do I either get more out of it or how do I shift that one or two things that it's providing me to another platform that's capable? And, you know, the, the foundation of Palito Networks when we started was not to deliver uh, an, an, a firewall. It was to deliver a network sensor that had layer seven capabilities that you could deliver other capabilities to, right? So whether it's DLP, DNS security, URL filtering, SSL decryption, essentially give the customer the opportunity to activate what they need and to leverage that at a low cost because it's a single platform. Um, we can see, continue to see that happen, uh, whether it's people looking at the spin that they have um, in the cloud space and realizing that you know maybe using cloud native tools works, but when they move to a multi-cloud environment, that becomes a little more expensive because now you're repeating that across multiple clouds um, or potentially even at the endpoint where people look at legacy spend that they have for maybe an EPP compared to an EDR and then realize they want to bring in other features. And so now they're looking for a true XDR type solution. And I think that that tool rationalization um, is not only something that naturally happens, but it's also something that I, I think is appropriate and, and probably good for organizations to consider uh, on a regular basis of what are we spending, what are we getting out of it, and then how do we convert that if there's a better way to optimize that spend into something that can provide us more at a lower cost. When you look at the cost savings for true rationalization, and a lot of this, you know, we always have to point back to you as the vendor sometimes and say, well, you showed me the next shiny object and got me excited, so I bought it. Uh, what's the cost savings agencies? Uh, again, there's no one one number, but are you seeing percentage-wise, 15%, 20% cost savings? Or it depends really if you have 100 tools, you have 50 tools, you're going to save more by reducing. The more you have, the more you reduce, the more you'll save. Any any sort of data you, you remember seeing? Yeah, I don't know if I have specific um, percentages for you on savings. It is it is hard in some organizations to standardize. Um, and so, you know, it changes customer to customer. What I will tell you that the one thing that I consistently see 
is the human side of it. When we start talking to partners and customers about the need to consolidate, one of the things we hear on a regular basis is that consolidation allows them to spend more time with, with single platforms, right? So instead of um, maybe uh, an endpoint security team having five, six, seven, eight different vendors they're working with, you know, their ability to know that one platform really well, uh, to train on it, uh, to, you know, to develop common enablement is great. And I think the other thing that we're seeing as the government, you know, continues to drive towards zero trust is inside of the zero trust strategy, both for the Department of Defense and for the civilian agencies, there is a focus on automation and orchestration. And what we do here is that when you start rationalizing and consolidating into, you know, these, these platforms across the organization, the ability to drive automation and orchestration across that is a lot easier. And that is where I think we're seeing a significant increase in just the ability to do things at machine speed that machines are really good at and to give people time back in their day to do things that humans need to be spending time on. We consistently hear common narratives that, you know, the, the, the best thing for uh, morale in a SOC is to take all the tier one triage and just put it into an orchestration system so that the machine essentially is, is doing all that triage and then assigning those out and running playbooks. You know, humans don't like doing repetitive mundane work, uh, shocker. And so anytime we can give people time back in their day and to let them use their skills in a, in a more efficient manner and to give them a little bit of joy in the work that they do, uh, I think that's good and maybe an intangible ROI, but it's definitely something that helps the workforce. I think that doubles down when you think about how hard it is to hire cybersecurity expertise, whether private sector or public sector, whether through contract work or not, uh, the, the more people can focus on really, again, that high level work, the better it is for everybody. Uh, and I think uh, people definitely do appreciate that. Uh, Drew, we're going to take a quick break. When we come back, we'll continue our conversation. We'll jump into the how you start to rationalize and consolidate. But first, we're going to take a break, and you're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. Are you curious if your federal agency is on the path to success with zero trust? At Palo Alto Networks, we offer cutting-edge technology and industry-leading expertise to help you safeguard your government's mission in both civilian and defense operating environments. Our solutions are designed to protect your agency from evolving cyber threats while accelerating your transition to zero trust. Don't leave your agency's security to chance. Visit us online at paloaltonetworks.com. Welcome back. You're listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. I'm your host, Jason Miller. My guest today is Drew Epperson, the Vice President of Federal Engineering at Palo Alto Networks Federal. Now, Drew, before break, we're talking about this idea of tool consolidation, rationalization. You talked a little bit about the benefits of it, right? Uh, saving money, of course, moving people from low value to more high value work. Great. The, all good things. When I want to do it, says your agency customer, how do I do it? I have so many tools. I need all of these tools to work. I can't have a cyber attack because I shifted from tool A to tool B. Uh, at the same time, we also know agencies tend to only use, you pick the percentage, 10% of a tool, 20% of a tool. They don't use that full uh, uh, tool capability. What is your advice? How, how do you help them kind of work through that rationalization consolidation? I mean, I think it's not, a lot of times it is scary uh, because there's just so much time and energy spent on some of these tools over the years. Uh, we've we found ourselves in scenarios where we'll be talking to customers and partners and they'll say something like, you know, we need to get off this platform, but that platform is integrated into these mission critical applications. And there's a little bit of concern and risk about migrating away from it just because we don't necessarily know all the ties into it that we might even have. Um, and so, you know, I, I think one of the things that we've tried to articulate to people is that anytime you have a modernization 
um, or a transformation project where you're building something new, creating new apps, migrating legacy to cloud or a hybrid data center, uh, those are usually good times to reevaluate instead of bringing the legacy security infrastructure with it, is there an opportunity to build a net new one, right? And so in most cases, we've rarely seen organizations just cut all of the legacy spend and legacy technology and move to something new all in one swift motion. A lot of times it's they have a legacy environment that they're operating that they need to keep running and they're migrating to a new modern modernized environment. Um, and as they do that, they have the opportunity to, to pivot some of that security investment into something that may be more platform centric on the other side. And then over time, you dial one side up and you continue that investment and migration and the other and you dial the other one down. And so that's usually how we see it operate. Um, you know, there's also a lot of um, there's a lot of opportunity to work with partners, whether it's ourselves or someone else in the industry, just to do an assessment. One of the things that we really pride ourselves on is that we drive usage on the investments that our customers have. And so we have uh, technology that's automated that'll essentially tell people uh, using a machine analytic backend, you have this technology, there are these new threats. If you simply enable this policy, you can protect 60, 70% of the threat that's out there today. It's just a, a simple policy configuration. And so, you know, I, I'd like to think that we're the best at doing that, but I also know that we're not the only ones to do that. And so I think the guidance to anyone who has an investment in a platform is look to that platform to tell you how it should be used best, because most of them have data and telemetry in them that will tell you exactly what you are using and what you're not using and how that gap between those two could be activated at low to no cost to then drive a better security outcome. It's so true. So much of cybersecurity can just be a configuration policy, turn that thing up to 10, or maybe yours goes to 11, right? Make it a little better. Uh, and I think uh, so many times agencies overlook that opportunity. What are those conversations like as you talk to them about turning new capabilities on? Is it hesitation? Is it more, oh, I didn't even know it could do that? Give me a sense of, of, of that reaction as you talk to customers. Yeah, we had this uh, last year, last couple of years, we've been launching this concept of AI ops. Uh, you know, essentially it's the capability of taking artificial intelligence and then using it to help guide the configuration of devices. And I think anybody who's been in the security industry long enough uh, to see some of these attacks realizes that most times it's not that a tool or technology doesn't exist or isn't in place, it's that it's misconfigured. And so we took the approach of saying, you know, if we're going to provide security, we also need to provide coaching and guidance on how that security platform should be configured to mitigate current and emerging threats. And so we had a conversation with one of our clients about the ability, um, their workflow was to wait for CVEs to be released and then take the CVE, dump that into uh, threat intelligence platform, that platform that kicked back all of the different mitigations that needed to be in place. And then they would manually have the team take those mitigations, go to each one of the security platforms that was in line and determine whether those mitigations were active or not. And I think for us, the aha moment was articulating that with AI ops, which is on the platform today, it does that for you. And so what we're doing in the back end is we're, we're taking all the emerging CVEs, we're mapping those to known mitigations that we have available on the platforms, and then we put it on a dial. And we say, of the number of devices or instances that you have in your environment, um, you know, only 20% are configured against this new emerging threat that was just recently released. And you can click a button and it will go out and proactively enable that and prevent those threats. And so I think we should expect that. I think as an industry, that's where we're driving toward. You've heard a lot about um, co-pilots and things like that. Essentially, taking data analytics um, and, and some fancy machine learning and artificial intelligence and teaming it with a human so that we take a lot of the mundane, repetitive work that takes a lot of research but really isn't high value in the output, and then giving it back to the user to say, here's everything you need to know 
um, would you like us to activate this or would you like to take a different approach on how to mitigate that threat? This concept of AI ops is fascinating. Is that something that's available to all of your customers? Is that kind of a, a new tool that they would have to take on uh, without getting into the, the nitty gritty of, of spending money or not? But, but I think people may say, oh, I'd love to use that. How does that work for, for a typical customer? Yeah, it's available on platforms today. There's a there's a basic and then kind of an advanced version of it. What we've noticed is that some customers, the basic version is perfect. It gives them exactly what they need. Um, but then, you know, in typical fashion, we have private sector and public sector customers that have very complicated, sophisticated environments that need a little bit more configuration and some more speciality. And so there is um, a paid for, think of it as an enterprise version that allows some of that capability. But yeah, today, um, if you have network security infrastructure from multiple networks, AI ops is available on those platforms. All right. I hopefully people will start checking that and go, oh, do I have that ability? Let me go look. Because it sounds like, I mean, if you could get that automation orchestration, some of that done automatically, especially for these uh, critical vulnerabilities that CISA keeps adding to every single day, that's, that's a lot to keep up with, as, as, as you all know. Drew, I want to shift gears just a little bit. We mentioned uh, Zero Trust earlier in the day. Uh, let's talk a little bit about how this moved the platform, this, this shift from endpoint uh, or, 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 or single point kind of products really is part of this bigger zero trust discussion. Yeah, I think for us, again, zero trust, all based on least privilege, you know, removing all uh, implied trust and then really driving toward conditional based access. You know, one of the struggles that we've seen inside of the federal space is that that true conditional based access, meaning a user on an approved device with a, a with a good posture of that device connecting to an approved app may have one experience and in one security implementation where me on a on my own personal device like BYOD device um, connecting to an unsanctioned app may have a much different experience from a security standpoint right there may be more inspection uh, there may be isolation somewhere in there you know the goal with zero trust has always been to increase security but I think what we found in the industry is that there was this long-standing belief that increasing security meant a, a bad user experience or at least a reduced user experience. And what we're articulating and what we found in a lot of the customers we've worked with inside of the public sector space is that zero trust does not actually have to mean a bad user experience. And in some cases, uh, by using things like machine learning and artificial intelligence and automation in the back end, we can actually provide a better user experience. We had one customer that was leveraging our SASE platform that was telling us that working from home, they were getting better speeds and better access to applications than when they were working onsite at a government location. And a lot of that is just the way the architecture is designed, the fact that we're using public cloud infrastructure, we're using a global fiber network. Um, and so, you know, what we're finding is that zero trust can be an enabler for a better user experience, but in order to really get to conditional based access, you know, if you're trying to string together 15, 18, some cases 25 plus security enforcement points and do it consistently, that is really hard. Um, and I think that that's what's driving this idea that in this new world, everything being zero trust enabled and somewhere in a path of zero trust architecture, we really need to consolidate that down into, you know, maybe to your point earlier, it's not one platform, but maybe it's sub 10 platforms that can all be natively integrated using common APIs and things like SOAR, security orchestration automation response, to really make that workflow happen and do it where it's consistent, regardless of where that user is and where the app's hosted. Fascinating story about better speed, better access at home than the office. Most of the time you would think, well, it's a big agency or even small agency, they're going to have better access than I have at home. So I appreciate you sharing that. The other piece just to dig into just a little bit 
is this idea of user experience. If you don't provide the good user experience, the users will find a way around it. And I think that's a big concern for anybody in the security world. Does the platform, move to the platform also help guard against, uh, well, I'll just figure out a way around it because it's because it's a single platform versus, well, I'll just figure out a way around this one device or this one type of product. Yeah, yeah, I think one of the, you know, one of the better stories is, you know, we are a security company. We are, we are, um, you know, in most cases, most definitions, the largest sole cybersecurity company in the world. All we do is cyber. And when we start thinking about how to provide more insight into the user experience, nothing to do with security, everything to do about user experience. I think that's a good indicator for the industry that you can have the best cyber posture. You can have the best cybersecurity delivery you want. If users can't get to the resources they need, if their job is harder because of that, they will find ways around it. And so we launched a platform a couple of years ago called Autonomous Digital Enterprise Management, Experience Management, ADEM. And that ADEM platform is purpose-built for the single reason of helping articulate what the digital experience to any one application is. And I think what's, you know, some of the what's fascinating when we implement it is the number of help desk tickets that reduce. Because if you're setting at home and you're trying to get to an enterprise application, you're working remote and you can't get to that enterprise application, you're likely going to open a service desk ticket and say, hey, something is wrong. That enterprise application is not available. ADEM does one of the simplest things, which is just tell the user a nice little chart, um, your connection is failing at your local Wi-Fi. Like your Wi-Fi is the problem. So don't call the help desk and complain about the enterprise application. You need to work on, on your local on your local network first. And so just giving users insight um, is really helpful. And I think that as the industry has matured, we realize that we as providers have a lot of that information, but we historically haven't provided it to the exact user or to the endpoint user so they can see it. Now it's incredibly easy to do that. And so I would say ADEM for us is one of those uh, platforms that we release with the sole purpose of helping users understand what their connectivity looks like and where they might have problems so that when they do need to open a ticket, they can articulate quickly where the problem's at. Drew, we have about a, just a few minutes left before I let you go. I definitely want to hit upon one last thing, which is, okay, we've talked a lot about the shift to platforms and the thinking about it. What are the big challenges agencies should keep in mind? How can they overcome them? Yeah, I think the legacy thought has always been, and there's been a big debate in the industry, do we go best in breed product or do we go platform? And the trade-off has always been, uh, if you go platform, you'll have something that's consistent, that's easy to use, but you'll probably lack some of the best in breed technology capability. If you go to the best in breed side, then you're stuck being an integrator and you have to take all those, the, all those products and integrate them. I think what I would articulate is that we have officially got to a point now with Gartner recognition that specifically Palto Networks is able to provide best in breed platforms. Um, industry leading, all the capability you need natively integrated. And I think that that is one of the biggest um, hurdles that the industry has had to move to platforms is that you felt like you were giving something up. Um, and I think what we would articulate today is you don't have to any longer. And I think agencies need to hear that because they think, oh, if I don't have all these different devices, all these different tools, what, what, what will happen to me? And I think the platform approach as you articulated today quite nicely is, well, maybe it'll be better. Maybe it'll be cheaper. Maybe it'll be stronger. So uh, uh, I think that that's a good message to, to end here with. Uh, Drew, unfortunately, we're out of time for our conversation today. I very much enjoyed it. So let me thank my guest. Drew Epperson is the Vice President of Federal Engineering at Palo Alto Networks Federal. Drew, thanks so much for taking the time. Thanks, Jason. Appreciate it. I'm Jason Miller, and you've been listening to the discussion Innovation in Government, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. For more on this discussion, visit federalnewsnetwork.com and search innovation. 
Thank you for listening to the Innovation and in Government Show, sponsored by Kerasoft on Federal News Network. The entire discussion can be found on demand at federalnewsnetwork.com, keyword innovation.